0: Love, social convention, gender roles, and religion. Charlotte Bronte's most famous novel challenges ideas on all these topics, and we are here to discuss it. I'm Charlene.
1: And I'm Mike.
0: And this is Jane Eyre Files. Chapter 32, Depths of a Restless Sea. Hello, husband.
1: Hello, Lucis Naturi.
0: <laughs> oh, that's actually a, a term uh, that I put on one of my old blogs, my live journal blog. Really? Yeah, the I live that journal days. A, the title of it,
1: which means
0: freak of nature.
1: Yes, yes. I had to brush up on my Latin. I oh, want to yeah. make sure I looked and saw how it was spelled.
0: Was not was not that in the footnotes of your book? Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I did kind of Google it to be okay. <laughs> Where's the emphasis? I saw a couple schwa's in there. Mm-hmm. Lucis, <laughs> it's not lusus or nature or whatever. Uh-huh. Lusus naturi. Okay. Sounds like one of the races from Star Trek, <laughs> I think. Uh, my th- only other option that I saw was uh, was my nice, neat little soul.
0: <laughs> also a good turn of phrase. Yeah. Not like Latin. Uh- <laughs> it's not Latin. You don't have to re- look up the meaning of that one.
1: Yes. So, this, yeah, this is, this is a, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but we've have these, what I would like to call like a, I don't know, it's a transitional chapter. We've, we've already met the characters, mm-hmm. but we're not really getting to the meat of what's going to happen with them. The, the, the real, the conflict. Right. You know, and now it's, just, we're just kind of setting up, getting to know them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're just seeing the daily life as it passes by, and so I think this is something that I would imagine when you see the film versions, kind of gets trimmed up a little bit.
0: Yes, that's true. But uh, before we really deep dive into this chapter, I wanted to mention that we're doing an Instagram giveaway, uh, Air at Air Guide, where we're giving away a tote and a copy of my version of Jane Eyre, which is a choose your own adventure take. Mm-hmm. It's called the governess of Thornfield and a little Jane keychain. So nice. check, check it out. All
1: right. Social media giveaways out of the way. On to chapter 32. What does our spark Notes summary say?
0: It begins, Jane's students become more familiar and endeared to her and Jane becomes quite popular among them. At night though, she has troubling nightmares that involve Rochester. Uh, I'm just going to interject right here. i Don't feel like it's nightmares exactly, but Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you, uh, (laughs) SparkNotes. Jane continues to pay attention to the relationship between Sinjin and Rosamond, who often visits the school when she knows Sinjin will be there. Rosamond asks Jane to draw her portrait, and as she is working on it one day, Sinjin pays her a visit. He gives her a new book of poetry, Sir Walter Scott's Marmion, and looks at the drawing. She offers to draw him a duplicate and then boldly declares that he ought to marry Rosamond. Sinjin admits that he loves her and is tempted by her beauty, but he explains that he refuses to allow worldly affection to interfere with his holy duties. The flirtatious, silly, and shallow Rosamond would make a terrible wife for a missionary. Suddenly, Sinjin notices something on the edge of Jane's paper and tears off a tiny piece. Jane is not certain why. With a peculiar look on his face, he hurries from the room.
1: Dun, dun, dun. A
0: little bit of mystery.
1: Yeah, foreshadowing, but it's it's such a throwaway part. We'll get into it a little bit later. But yeah, I don't remember that the first time I read the book. Oh, yeah. Now that I know what's happening, yeah, for sure.
0: So yeah, so this chapter begins with Jane sort of giving compliments to the accomplishments of her rural scholars and the respect given to her by the working people now that she has become a little bit more ingrained in their society and they know her. And Hmm. I don't know if you... uh, if it might seem a little backhanded in the way she seems surprised at the progress of the students
1: well yeah like i mean i guess it's it's what is that nature versus nurture sometimes we say that where you come from the background you come from maybe it's harder to to really blossom and develop
0: mm-hmm. and now
1: it's like i'm the funny part is jane seems to really like the job you know i yeah, wish yeah. She, it's like she, she just been patient i know we talked about <laughs> it on the show it's like she can't just expect to change the world immediately. Yeah. And so if she's not so worried about her social standing, then she can just get to the, busy with the job of, of transforming kids' lives, which I assume is one of the main reasons that people get into the teaching profession, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. It does take time for Jane to kind of get to know the people and, I guess, become more comfortable. And I feel like it, it's Charlotte Bronte showing that, you know, there's, you know, pro- probably speaking to the pervading prejudice at the time that mm. these these people who are lower class, you know, that they are probably set in their ways, like you said, nature versus nurture. They're thinking the nature, you can't change it. But mm. Charlotte is showing how unfair and inaccurate these prejudices are. And we can't assume that these lower class incapable of so-called refinement.
1: Now, do you think Charlotte did that intentionally, that she wanted to give Jane a flaw of some sort, that she has the same prejudice that a lot of the people of that era, which I'm assuming maybe. Anne and Emily and Patrick had as well. Or Charlotte had, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I wonder, because, you know, one of the things that I find to be sort of a thought puzzle about this book is, is Jane, does Jane have any flaws as Mm. a character? Because I, I feel like for the most part, the way Charlotte Bronte writes her, she doesn't feel like she's thinking of her as a flawed character in Mm -hmm. a way. You know, obviously she makes mistakes and, but she's, you know, very young and, um. It's, it's sort of, uh, she's presented in a way where she's really sort of blameless. Mm.
1: Uh, so I don't know. She's too passionate. She too loves. Passionate? She loves too much.
0: Well, I think she was just doing the best she could, obviously. She couldn't predict the secret, Rochester's secret, and, mm-hmm. and the situation that would, because it's very extraordinary. She's never given a reason to think that Rochester's lying to her, you know?
1: mm yeah, and I feel like sometimes authors are commended for writing characters that have flaws, and, and you think that's more patience. realistic, right? Well, yeah, but at the same time, it's like you want your books to be escapism, and maybe you don't necessarily want you want this <laughs> character. You know, the, the character you don't want a character to be exactly like you, and maybe you can relate, but at the mm-hmm. same time, maybe you want them to also be a little bit more, you know, superhuman in a way, like a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely,
0: there's definitely characters in books that are perfect. And, you know, that's the reason why we like them, I guess.
1: Practically perfect in every way.
0: (laughs) Yes. Jane is Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. Speaking of character studies... Jane is revealing a little bit more of her thoughts on Rosamond Oliver and giving the reader a more accurate picture of her. So I just wanted to kind of walk back a little bit of what I said in the previous episode where she, where I was thinking, oh yeah, Rosamond Oliver is a example of a different kind of woman in Jane's story where she's beautiful, but she's also kind and not entirely vain, which uh, Jane does mention. Oh, well, she is a little bit vain.
1: So... Yeah, because when she's introduced in the previous chapter, you don't really know where she's coming. Where how much we're going to see of her? Wow, like, Yeah, if,
0: if she's going to be an important character at all. Yeah,
1: I mean. you, you talked about how much you like the the dichotomy between Jane and Mary and Diana, mm-hmm. and now there's another woman that, that yeah is, could is, be is,
0: another Mary and Diana. Could
1: be <laughs> could be another bestie. Mm-hmm. You know, even if there's a little bit of difference in the social standing. Yeah, but you never know. Like it's like, and I think because maybe there's no threat at least for now, that uh, Rosamond doesn't think that Jane and Sinjin oh. are... Th- so it's just like she can probably just relate to him and, and tell her how she feels about him. and Yeah, yeah. And then and maybe help, right? Maybe she figures... Maybe Rosamond figures that if Jane is closer to Sinjin, she can kind of help plant that seed because <laughs> Sinjin is so resistant. He's so cold and...
0: Right, yeah. right.
1: And then before we move on, I got I to mention how much I really love the use of the term visitress, Charlene, I swear we're going to work that into our everyday lexicon now.
0: If anybody if any woman comes to visit us.
1: They are now officially a visitress. <laughs> Rosamond Oliver is the is Jane's visitress. Right. Okay. So I'm gonna make that a thing.
0: You know, there was a point you made earlier where you were talking about how this chapter feels a little bit just sort of um just kind of filler, you know?
1: Yeah, like I so, said, just getting to know the people. Every, yeah. Everyday routines. Everyday routines. That was it. So, right.
0: but I I wanted to make a point. that I feel like that the fact that Jane is showing herself a little bit more comfortable with St. John, mm. where she's a little more forthright and bold. That I think that that is an important sort of turning point in this chapter, where it kind of reminds me of her interactions with Rochester. Sure. Because you know, you know, we read this novel, and we know Jane's thoughts because she's telling it to us as a reader, but she doesn't really share her personal thoughts or her feelings with a lot of people in the book. It's, it's, it's really important, you know, character trait that, you know, when she does share something with someone, then, you know, that she's, she's developing a good connection with them. And even, even though Sinjin, you know, seems very cold and, you know, kind of, uh, off-putting, uh, she does seem to have a good relationship with him and she feels comfortable enough to kind of, uh, address something that he clearly does not want to talk about. Yeah, or, or he doesn't want to address. So it, well,
1: didn't we talk about that before? Where it's like they they let her in, mm-hmm. and now she feels like you know should she, she pay them back in some way? And you your original thought was oh well she should tell more about her story and oh yeah and and backstory. And I was like no no maybe she shouldn't. But the, I think a lot, I like that idea where as a as a debt of gratitude now she's like oh, I'm gonna help you with your your woman troubles. Yeah. She's had time to sit back and recuperate in this house, and so she's gotten to you know and get a sense of these characters, the Rivers family, and so now, like you said, maybe they're getting a little bit closer. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure not, not quite as romantically linked as Rochester, but like you said, more forthright, which yeah. I totally believe. And I, I wonder if it's, like you said, she has reached a certain comfort level, and maybe she feels too in, you know, compelled to engage with him because you know, John has put her in a good spot to, to build herself back up.
0: Right, yeah, and then you know, sort of a sweet project that Jane takes on, wanting to bring Rosamond and Sinjin together.
1: Yeah, I, I still think maybe that's why Rosamond is kind of getting a little bit closer with Jane. Is that you hope It's it's just kind of a that's wing very man
0: manipulative. Thing. But I don't I don't oh, know no, if I no, can no, believe no, that not of, manipulative. of sweet Ros- Rosamond.
1: Not manipulative. We, we I think, I'm sure we've mentioned it on the show this is how it works in real life. If you like somebody, you get to know their friends, right, or their siblings or relatives, and then you make you know make a good impression on them. So that they can go tell the object of your affection how great you are.
0: <laughs> All right. I guess that, that is one point of view.
1: Yeah. And then if it's if like, and I know this from personal experience because I saw people do it with me. And now I've had an opportunity to pass it on myself. Is that is usually when people find love themselves, they want to make sure that others find it just as quickly.
0: Yeah, that's you know? a good point. How many times
1: did you go to a wedding by yourself and whether it be the bride or another married woman at the party is just constantly wanting to try to hook you up with, set you up with someone else. <laughs> oh, this is my cousin. So-and-so he's single. And you're just like, it's okay. But then they're just, no, no, no. Because they're so happy in that moment. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Jane and Rochester are split up at the at the moment, but Jane is still in love. And, and she I think... she
0: knows the benefits of true love. Yeah. Because
1: yeah, yeah even if she's having nightmares, apparently, about him, <laughs> I feel like, she still has these strong feelings, and she's just like, I wonder if maybe it'll help loosen Singin up, mm-hmm. or if, like I said, or maybe Rosamond can be as happy as she is. Maybe you round her out. It sounds like Rosamond's got a pretty good life. Oh yeah, you know, but also not just because she's you know financially stable, but she seems really happy in what she does. And yeah, so... she's
0: given a lot of freedom. She seems like she's well educated too, so yeah. she has a lot of potential. And I'm do... sure
1: she probably takes a lot of a lot of pride in in the school and and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so. Like this idea that if, if there's, maybe there's one aspect of her life that's not quite fulfilled, and that's you know this cold preacher, <laughs> and maybe he could be the very handsome cold preacher, handsome pale Apollo-looking cold <laughs> preacher, you know. And so yeah, and I, I think what what I found funny too is that did you notice that Sinjin does like seem shocked that Jane would want him to marry Rosemond. Mm-hmm. and give up his christian duties you know yeah. and, they, and he has this like there's just paragraphs of him ex- describing why he doesn't want it to happen just a little bit over the top a little well, little bit over expressive.
0: yeah he, i mean you, you clearly see he's he's very devout and mm. you know this brings me to one of my pet analysis of jane eyre is like comparing sinjin and helen burns you remember helen right
1: best character in the book <laughs>
0: Yeah, because it's like the, you know, we're presented with these two characters who, you know, their life is predominantly lived according to God's will and his scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, early on, Helen Burns, she she says to her, hush, Jane, you think too much of the love of human beings. And then later, St. says, what did he say?
1: Fancy me yielding and melting as I am doing. Human love rising like a freshly opened fountain in my mind and overflowing with sweet inundation all the field I have so carefully and with such labor prepared.
0: Yeah. So I feel like they both kind of downplay the, the importance of human love because mm. they're thinking more about God's love or their sort of eternal reward is more important.
1: Mm. Yeah. And it goes back to, again, that central theme that I brought up before of love versus righteousness, mm-hmm. you know. And Helen, does, unfortunately, does not make it long enough to really experience the human love. Maybe she might have a different opinion if she had.
0: That's true. She was very young at that point. You know, she hasn't seem doesn't seem to have lived a uh, a great life, you know, her mm. father doesn't really seem to pay attention to her and then she's not t- well taken care of at the school, so
1: Yeah, whereas with Sinjin it's actually right there in front of him, but yet he's just pushing it da- pushing it away and pushing it down <laughs> out of some like I said some sort of duty which on the one hand, I don't know, seems a little bit ill-informed. Yeah, but...
0: but I guess part of my pet analysis is thinking, is Helen, it, will Helen Burns grow up to be a little bit more like St. John? Because then in the, there's a quote that uh, I'll pull from this chapter where, you know, St. John is, is telling Jane that his belief in God has refined the base materials of his nature. Uh, so he says, quote, "From the minute germ "natural affection," she has developed the overshadowing tree philanthropy." From the wild, stringy root of human uprightness, she has re- reared a due sense of the divine justice, and that—that that sort of the natural affection, which you know, that's what Helen has, and she also has that sort of philanthropic mind, where she's you know reaching out to Jane because she can see that she's you know hurt and alone at this school, and she kind of mm. gives her advice, you know, and then from the wild, stringy root of human uprightness, you know. That that has turned into divine divine justice, which I feel like in Helen's case was more like Helen trying to tell Jane that you know leave it to God. You know all her anger and stuff that she had against Missus Reed. You know divine justice will help you. <laughs> so that that that's kind of my. Well, but then of course, I feel like uh, Jane, you know, St. John has this sort of ambition. That's that's something that's like the the leading character trait that that Charlotte Bronte and Jane kind of establish. And then, you know, John says in that in that same passage in this chapter that of the ambition to win power and renown for my wretched self, she has formed the ambition to spread my master's kingdom to achieve victories for the standard of the cross. So perhaps Helen would have gone into a similar route of wanting to spread God's word.
1: Yeah, I, I think that would probably would have been her thing for sure
0: that would have fit her.
1: Yeah, like I said I would have I was surprised that, you know, you're going to we're going to mention how like Helen doesn't really consider herself to have these great talents. Yes. And and she's kind of resigned to die so that she could join God in heaven, but I wonder, Charlene, do you think you know, should she have aspired to live so that she could too be a missionary or a nun or just someone like St. so that she could spread the word. It seemed like she was devout enough.
0: Yeah, I feel like she would have. She would have been a great orator. I'm not. I'm not sure if she would have had that opportunity open to her. So, at that, you know, in that time for a woman, you know, you're probably not going to be able to do do that. But
1: what if you're married to a missionary?
0: Oh yeah, she could help these children and the and other parents and in, in these countries where you know the the missionary is. Trying to teach people. So obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, she can definitely help spread the word.
1: Learn a random language. I don't know, <laughs> Hindustani, <laughs> seemed, I think.
0: <laughs> she seemed plenty intelligent to uh, be able to pick it up.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I feel like when people are devout enough, they just, like I said, they feel a certain sense of duty. And, or, you know, that they, they have to, like I said, they're, whether they're following the Bible and they want to, they, they feel like they have to live their life a certain way. And, and even if it means sacrificing and doing all these things to, mm-hmm. to kind of sacri- sacrifice their own happiness so that for the eternal good. right And there's a quote from right before, right at the end, near the end of Helen's life where she says, by dying young, I shall escape great sufferings. I had not qualities or talents to make my way very well in the world. I should have been continually at fault. Sometimes I wonder like do, do, is that a, is that a a sign sometimes of Christians where they they get, a, they get very guilty Oh do Christians yes. ever experience guilt? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I believe so. I believe yeah. that's sort of a thing. Yeah. And
1: so they kind of feel in the way like I mean, I'm not I'm not doing enough. I I could, there's still much more I can do. I think we've established that sinjin feels that way, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that definitely does seem to be something where, you know, I think Sinjin uh, wants to do more so that so that's that's why he felt guilty being like a pastor in a small village where he you know obviously he feels like he has a lot of good qualities that he could give to other people to bring them closer to god i guess Mm -hmm. so yeah that's definitely something that that sinjin seems to have in common with helen and you know in this book i feel like both characters also emphasize looking beyond what you want to do in this life sort of your personal goals and your happiness is is less important than gaining glory and you know, being one with God. And I feel like it's a little bit of a depressing outlook to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all have a very finite time here. And so you might want to enjoy yeah, as much, make the most of it's it. saying
0: it's not worth, it's, it's worthless. Like just, you're trying to get past this point, you know, yeah. it's kind of sad.
1: Stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I always think. I mean, I know it's not quite the same comparison, but I, I had this happen to me when I was in high school where uh, my, my father was in the military. So we moved around a lot when I was a kid and uh, we moved in my the middle of my junior year of high school. And as soon as we got to the new town, this is, would have been in Kentucky, there was a, pretty much a thought that we were going to leave as soon as I graduated high school. Mm. So I didn't really, I didn't make a lot of close friendships. Mm-hmm. I didn't bother. To, I, to I hardly, I mean, I was very young. I graduated very young. And so a lot of my friends were freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. I had very few friends that, that were in the senior class with me. And I feel like looking back, I didn't really enjoy that, that year as much because I was like, well, I'm leaving anyway. Oh, yeah. And so, and I mean, I still have a few friends from that from that time, but I look back and I do kind of regret that I wish I would have enjoyed that a little bit more, Wish yeah, I would have enjoyed my difficult. time, you know. It is
0: difficult if you're leaving, but.
1: Yeah, especially when you had that knowledge ahead of time. And but so, Helen, you know. She... I was <laughs> shuffling off this mortal coil of Kentucky.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, Helen doesn't ha- didn't have a lot of time and she didn't really take advantage of it but again maybe she didn't have the opportunity to stuck at Lowood
1: well but I wonder, did she already feel like she was even, going to even, die even before she got sick oh, did, she, well. did she just assume that well there's a lot of childhood mortality <laughs> and so I'm I'm sure it's probably going to be me oh well,
0: I don't know yeah she, at least she was already mentally prepared for it it seems
1: yeah still the best character in the book
0: <laughs> well one last thing to wrap up my my comparison of Helen and St. Jin is that both Helen and Sinjin come into Jane's life when her emotional turmoil is very distressing to her. Uh, you know, because that, that, again, passion versus reason, her passion is kind of getting the better of her. And and they show Jane how relying on God and give, gives them comfort in how they live. So hmm. Sinjin is clearly a character that showcases all reason and no feeling or emotion. And do you think Helen showcases that?
1: Well, I mean, I feel like she seems warmer but she can also be construed as being a little self righteous and condescending and yeah, you know yeah. and, but I feel like, you know, she does care for Jane, but she's also seems so resolved to die that she doesn't express enough emotion while she's alive, you know. I feel mm-hmm. like St. is the same but without the warmth, you know. But does he really care for Jane or is she just another person in his life?
0: Oh, well, I don't I don't know if he's If he's very like, he feels deep affection for her, but I feel like he has uh, respect for her, and that's Mm -hmm. probably the best you're gonna get from Sinjin. Well, (laughs)
1: yeah, because like I said, she does. She seems to put make religion a very important aspect of her life. The fact that she took on this teaching gay without even giving it a second thought.
0: Yeah. She's very hardworking and she's yeah. also intelligent and I guess probably doesn't seem like a silly person to him, you know, like no. Rosamond, maybe.
1: And he's warming up to her and then feeling more comfortable around her and where they can have these conversations. And then yeah. she could say, hey, you, what about that Rosamond girl? You should yeah. totally go for her.
0: And he says, uh, let me think about it. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then he does one of the, one of, like I said, one of the more bizarre acts because when you know the rest of the story... It's like, oh, okay. And then when I watched the film adaptations, I know this scene. But when I'm reading the book, I do not remember. What does he do? She's like drawing and he, he grabs.
0: He notices like some of her scratch paper and he just tears off a piece of the paper and says bye.
1: Yeah. And, and and like I said, Charlotte makes it a point to just bring that up where I feel like the first time I read it, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when I was <laughs> rereading it now, I was thinking, okay, I know that that moment's probably going to come it's just going to be some sort of throwaway. But no, she does kind of call it out. Right, yeah. And and I'm like, oh. Because like, if you're reading it for the first time, you just like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
0: Yeah. But it, the fact that it is kind of mentioned and a little bit dwelled upon, you're just like, okay, that, that's going to mean something.
1: Mm, yeah. Charlotte's pretty good at foreshadowing, right?
0: Yes, yes. So yeah, we'll f- find out more about that later. And for the interesting context portion of this episode, uh, I did want to point out a moment In this chapter where when Sinjin gives Jane a book, Jane goes off on a kind of a tangent, like really praising this work as a part of the, quote, golden age of modern literature, where Mm -hmm. she even says, poetry destroyed, genius banished. No, mediocrity. No, do not let envy prompt you to the thought. No, they not only live, but reign and redeem. And without their divine influence spread everywhere, you would be in hell, the hell of your own meanness. It's a little bit extravagant for very,
1: very poetic. Oh, yeah! I like the fact that she's talking about. There's no way that poetry is dead, uh-huh. and you have got this book of poetry, and yet Charlotte's words to describe what Jane is saying and doing uh, is very poetic. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Kind of very self reflexive in that way. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's true. Yes. So, so, what is that book? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the book that St. John gives Jane is called *Marmion* by Sir Walter Scott. It was published in 1808 and is a historical romance. Inverse of 16th century Scotland and England.
1: Have you read Marmion?
0: I have actually. I yeah. have a copy of it. You do too. have a copy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't really remember it that well. Although right before we recorded, I kind of uh, read up a little bit on the plot. So it's 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 it is full of intrigue. There's a. Lord Marmion, who falls in love with this beautiful woman, and she doesn't. She refuses him. She's in love with this other man. So Marmion uh, has a duel with this man, and he oh, man. shoots him and doesn't kill him, and then kind of gets banished. And he, uh, you know, supposed to duel at that time, I believe. Oh, really? Then... So Lord
1: Marmion didn't have a problem throwing away his shot.
0: <laughs> and then, uh, so then the the rich woman, she goes and uh, joins the nunnery. And then uh, there's a big battle in the end. The wronged lord was going to finally confront Lord Marmion, and then Lord Marmion dies, and then the wrong lord, he gains all the glory, and that's how it ends, sort of.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty tangled web, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think you uh, might have heard that this story is the origin of the famous phrase, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive!
1: I'll be I...
0: right often attributed to Shakespeare.
1: The chicks ever use it? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it just it, people just assume it
0: sounds Shakespearean. It does. But yeah, Charlotte was a fan of Scott and frequently referenced his works in her own stories. And another point I wanted to bring up was the fact that Jane references Marmion as a new publication seems to indicate that this part of the story is set soon after 1808. But it has also been pointed out that a new edition of the novel with a new introduction by Scott was published in 1830.
1: So, yeah, we don't really have... Framing for it's events difficult. that are going on because we had the Luddite riots, yes. reference as well. And when was that supposed to take place? That
0: was around 1812, I believe. So you know, it doesn't quite match up. It's it's uh, a little bit all over the place. I yeah,
1: think. published in 1847, this book, right? Mm-hmm. And so,
0: and then, well, when you get to the end of the book, um, you get to Jane saying that she's kind of writing this like in a, a, a period of time later, ten, I think, ten years later. So. Oh, okay. You know, that's where you're trying to figure out, OK, then how, you know, when was this written or written and then when did this take place? So it's, uh, Charlotte, I don't know if she was doing this on purpose or if she just had things mixed up.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> and like I said, Sir Walter Scott was this is he somebody very prevalent in that era. Why does she keep, seem to keep bringing him up in her work?
0: Oh, she she did read him, I think, when she was fairly young like read read some of his works and she she really loved him and uh and I think probably her family her sisters also loved his works too so give him a shout out he was a popular author yeah author of Ivanhoe
1: that's why I know that (laughs) never read it did you read it
0: I have not read Ivanhoe actually
1: and we joke about it but I have not read a lot of famous works of literature Mm -hmm. but I can picture that book being like a school assignment in one of my high yeah. school classes, not my, not my class, but like a, one of my fellow classmates had a different English class or something. Oh, right. They read that as well. But, hmm.
0: Well, that is all for the interesting context. And now we go on to our meaningful passage or quotes. Mike, why don't you share yours first?
1: Well, I've got a whopper. Oh, right. For you. Here. Okay. Um, it really stood out to me because it was, it's very long. It's very dramatic. And it was, I just kept wondering, like, how long, when's this sentence going to end? Is it, what I'm going to read for you right now is all one sentence. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Jane says, quote, at this period of my life, my heart far oftener swelled with thankfulness than sank with dejection. And yet, reader, to tell you all, in the midst of this calm, this useful existence after a day passed in honourable exertion amongst my scholars and evenings spent in drawing or reading contentedly alone, I used to rush into strange dreams at night, dreams many-coloured, agitated, full of the ideal, the stirring, the stormy, dreams where, amidst unusual scenes, charged with adventure, with agitating risk and romantic chance, I still again and again met Mr. Rochester, always at some exciting crisis, And then the sense of being in his arms, hearing his voice, meeting his eye, touching his hand and cheek, loving him, being loved by him. The hope of passing a lifetime at his side would be renewed with all its first force and fire. (laughs) That's all one sentence.
0: I mean, it's all one large thought of hers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think like what's interesting is like, you know, it just shows that Rochester, no matter what she does to focus on other things in her life, he's still never going to leave her mind. Sure, that's how profound their, their love was, and what mm-hmm. she meant to him. Right, and I just I love it because I was reading it, and I'm like, kind of. We I, we I joke about this with you all the time when we watch movies because I love to see the technical aspects. Like I can I can I can appreciate something that's shot really well, even if it's not well written or well acted. And have you, you ever watch a scene where you're like, it's where it's a really long take, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't think there's been an edit. You know, like sometimes if it's like two, three minutes and sometimes if I see a shot like that, I'll rewind it when I'm done and be like, was this all one long take? And I'm, I'm amazed. I love long tracking shots and stuff. So I'm reading this sentence and I'm like, well, oh, this is all one thing. She's just, get, she's just got to get this thought out. Yeah, and she's just like, I don't no, no periods, man. We're just going straight <laughs> through. And so if you're counting at home, I did count it. Oh, there are two colons, one semicolon. Four hyphens, not counting like hyphenated words, but four hyphens to separate points. Mm -hmm. And there are a whopping 22 commas (laughs) in that sentence. So memorable in that regard. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. Well, obviously, that is also the quote I picked. Really?
1: The whole thing?
0: Well, yes, because I think I mentioned in um, the previous episode where I like the quotes that reference Rochester, Mm. that this is probably, I think, the last quote um, that before certain things happen, that she references Rochester, and Mm -hmm. it's my favorite. I I just love the idea, too, how she says, I used to rush into strange dreams at night. Like, she didn't just fall asleep. Like she, it was like waiting for her, all this emotion that she kind of like, padded, like kept down during the day where she was trying to work and she was being a, a good uh, teacher. And mm-hmm. then at night, it's like she gives vent to all this regret and, and love and emotion and it just kind of washes over her. And then 9 a.m. or I think it was next day, she's ready, ready for school and she's totally mm-hmm. composed. And I just love that image of her just kind of indulging it. And then going back to work. And again, passion versus reason. Sure. It's kind of, she's, she's, it's not quite balanced. It's kind of over uh, mastering her at one, at one point to another. So.
1: Yeah. And listeners are, you can't see us obviously, but uh, when I was halfway through that quote, I looked up and Charlene was smiling at me. So I had a very good (laughs) idea that perhaps you had also chosen this one. That is now three. Oh God. I haven't actually been keeping track. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was the third out of 32. That, that, we, that we picked, we the, same picked the same one. Okay. So okay. Eh, about 10%, a little bit less than 10%. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if your goal is try to not pick what I pick.
1: <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of them, them have been a little difficult. I think the one we had the same quote one time on one of the shorter chapters, and it was right, right. very memorable, so it was kind of obvious. But mm-hmm. this one to me, like I said, one long tracking shot. I'm like, she's still talking. <laughs> she's still talking, and this is the same thought. And I was like, wait a minute, no period, no. no. 22 commas.
0: Yeah, great quote. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. This really helps us grow and reach new listeners. If you want to talk Jane Eyre with me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at airguide. That's E-Y-R-E.
1: And if you want to hear more from me, I host my own podcast called Out of Touchstone, where my good friend Chad and I discuss all the films that Disney produced for their Touchstone Pictures label. You can also find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb.
0: Thank you, and farewell for the present.